0: Well, good morning and happy Easter to you. You can respond. That's okay. That's right. You know, he is risen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, if we've met before, then you know my name's Rob Jacobson. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson. I'm part of Restoration as the lead pastor here. And I'm so glad that you chose to join us this morning as we do celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you do know me well, you know that I'm unashamedly a superhero fan. Like, my favorite colors are a deep red and a royal blue, and Superman is probably my favorite superhero. I think it's because he's the first one I remember. And I'm a child of the 80s, so I remember the Christopher Reeves Superman. And I can't forget this scene, probably because we were just in the Grand Canyon. But the scene in the first movie where Superman um, is going to the Hoover Dam because he's got to stop this breach in the break in the dam, there's a flood, and his main squeeze, Lois Lane, I don't know if they're girlfriend, boyfriend yet, but she's driving through the Nevada desert, and then an earthquake splits the road open, and her car gets swallowed up, and so as she's like tumbling down, he's throwing boulders, if anyone of you remember this, I mean, it was pretty good graphics in the 80s, but... The water's coming down, and, and he, saves, he saves the city, but he can't save Lois. And when he gets to her and he finds out she's dead, he gets super mad. And he, it, the scene shows him, like, flying outside of the atmosphere and then spinning around the earth. And the earth spins at, like, over 1,000 miles an hour at the equator, and it's... <laughs> I mean, it was really good graphics, guys. And all of a sudden, the earth stops and then starts going the other way, and theoretically, it turns back time. And then he saves Lois, right? And and okay, you know, I'm I'm it's about as believable as, you know, the eighty-five DeLorean plutonium-powered that goes back in time. But but it, it it would be a cool concept, right? Like if we could do a rewind on those moments in life, if we could turn back time on those things that we say or we do that we wish we hadn't. You know, some of those things are are like Mostly, Well, they're not reversible, but they're, they're like when your main, the most special person in your life has just one gluten-free pizza left, and you overcook it. You can't undo that. Or steak, but... And, and when you cut someone's hair, you can't uncut it. And when you tell a joke that really bombs, you can't undo that. Or... My favorite, when you go around a snowy curve and you realize you went into it too fast and you slide around and you end up in someone's front yard, like, you're there. (laughs) And I know, on all those things, (laughs) through experience. And most of those, most of them, I can laugh at today. But there are other moments. There are other moments that are irreversible that, that don't bring a smile to our face. Now, sometimes it's when a, uh, a relationship that's young ends and the person says, oh, no, no, it's, it's me, it's not you. And other times it's, it's a boss who, who says, um, we're letting you go. Or it's when a doctor says, uh, it's cancer, and I'm sorry, but we're, we're out of treatment options. Or when you get a phone call in the middle of the night and it's a police officer that says there's been an accident and you lose someone you care about. Or when someone that, that you you loved and you thought loved you says, I don't love you anymore. These are the moments. These are the impossible moments, I'll say, where, where things happen to us where we never thought they would happen. And, and life, it just stops at that moment. And And the reason I bring those up is because I really want to ask the question, what? seems impossible in your life right now? What is something that's stopping you from truly living, from actually risking, from going for it, from living this unstoppable life? Now maybe as you start to think about that and really engage in it, maybe it brings to surface something that that just makes you afraid or makes you deeply sad. Or maybe it's something that, that just really disappoints you. But, but I ask you to go there and think about that because, because then we'll start to think about and start to feel what the very first people on the very first Easter felt. See, the Bible isn't, isn't just some book. It's just not some book about God or some people who thought about God. The Bible's filled with all kinds of stories of, of real people with real problems, who had a really hard time believing this thing that we'd call impossible was possible. And as we engage in this, we'll see people that we can relate to, I think. And when, and when we get into these impossible situations, if we're positive, we'll hear people say it like this, Oh, that'll take a miracle. And if we have, like, negative, I mean, less positive people around, you know, then they'll say, oh, yeah, that'll happen when a hot place freezes over. (laughs) But the resurrection is absolutely called a miracle. And I think sometimes for someone who's skeptical about it, they pass over that too quickly because miracles just don't happen but people who might be called saints or people who um, have been around the church for a long time, I think likewise, we just accept that too quickly. But what it really comes down to is this. It's like we all want miracles. We just don't want to be in a situation where we absolutely need a miracle. But think about it. You can't have a miracle unless you have a problem. And if you have a really big problem, then you're in the place for a really big potential miracle. And that's what we see in this story. See, in the last chapter of the book called Luke, 24 if you want to read along, it says that some women went to Jesus' tomb. Now, they went to Jesus' tomb, and they were carrying burial spices because they wanted to anoint his body. After the crucifixion, he didn't get a proper burial. They were in a hurry because of this Sabbath day, this day of rest that they practiced. So they were grieving. They were sad. And this was the thing that they could do that would not only... Um, honor Jesus' body, but it would make them feel better too. It would help them in their grieving process. So they thought their problem was going to be there's a giant stone in the way. We've got to talk the guards into letting us move this, let making them move the stone so that we can go in and do this. And when they get there, the guards are gone, the stones rolled away, and all they find is an empty tomb. Now an empty tomb doesn't make the impossible possible. I mean, they think someone stole the body. But then they see a vision and hear the words of an angel that say, no, 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 he's not here. He is risen. Don't you remember when he said, the Messiah must suffer and and be crucified. But on the third day he would rise. See, in this moment, they run back. They run back and tell the other disciples. But the disciples literally, I, I think we have the verse, that says that they thought it was nonsense. Now, have you ever f- wanted to believe something, or maybe you even did believe something, and you start engaging with this, and other people think you're a little crazy? You're not the only one. But see, it might have stopped you. It might have stopped you from engaging any further. It might still have stopped you. But the impossible could be possible. If this story is really true. So the next story that Luke tells about is this guy, Peter. See, Peter was the only disciple. Well, we find out from the other guys that maybe John did too. So so a couple of these disciples, even though they thought it was nonsense, they so wanted to believe that they run to the tomb. Peter runs to the tomb, Luke tells us, and he goes in and he looks and he sees the grave closed, but no body. See, Peter, I think he runs to the tomb because he wants to believe more than anybody because Peter has royally messed up. His biggest weakness was probably fear, and it was exposed like no other. Every one of his fellow disciples heard him say to Jesus, even if everybody else deserts you, I never will. But he does, right after he denies him three times. And in those moments, I I think Peter's heart was grieving the loss of his teacher and his mentor and his friend. But I think his head, or maybe voices inside his head, was saying, you have blown it royally. No one has deserted him more forcefully or as blatantly as you. Even if the impossible was possible from the resurrection, even if it was for everybody, it's not for you, Peter. And maybe you're sitting here and You have a past mistake that's right up there in your head. And it's so big that you think that there's no way God would forgive you. Even if the resurrection was really true, even if the impossible was possible for everybody else, it's probably not for you. If that's where you're at, keep, just hang on, because there's, well, two other people that that are in this story, but one more scene that I just want to bring up today. And the last storyline I want you to consider is, is the next part of Luke's story. It says that, that two men on the same day, they were going down to a village called Emmaus. It's, it's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. Now these guys evidently are part of Jesus' extended crew, or they've at, at minimum been a part of the week, but probably part of Jesus' extended crew of disciples. And they're, they're, maybe this is their hometown, but they're hiking away, and their problem was really what to do now. Because the ancient language says that, that they were not just chatting about the week or the weather, but they were in a heated debate about whether Jesus was the real deal. There, True, there are like hundreds of messiahs that come up from about 50 B.C. to about 150 A.D. in this time of Jesus. And all of them claimed to do the, some of the things that Jesus did, but none of them had come back from the dead. And so... They aren't sure if Jesus is just one of a hundred or more messiahs, or if he was different. If and and they think he was supposed to be because they thought he they expected him to overthrow the evil government that was over them of Rome, and they thought that the impossible might be possible with Jesus. And and they are so intent on this that it says in the story that Jesus comes up and stands with them and walks with them and they don't recognize him. And, and I always thought that, that maybe Jesus, you know, had some kind of a superhero mask on or something, or like he had supernaturally transformed himself. But now I think different. Because, because one of them, when Jesus comes up and says, what are you discussing so intensely as you walk together along? They just stood still. It says their faces were downcast, like they were so disappointed, so sad, they were maybe despondent is the best word. They'd stopped. They might not even have been able to look at Jesus. And they say the equivalent of like, are you serious? Are you not the only one who's visited Jerusalem who does not know about the things that have happened there in these days? And, and Jesus, I don't know, classic, says, well, what things? Like, even though I know, I, I want to see if you know. And they say, well, well, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. He was a, po- a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the religious rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem us, to save us. And what's more, it's been the third day since all this took place. And even, in addition, some women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning, but they didn't find his body. But they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and some of our other companions, Peter and John, they went to the tomb, and they found out that it just was. It was just like the women had said. Catch this. But they didn't see Jesus. See, I I don't think they can see Jesus because they are so disappointed that God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Like, that things didn't turn out the way they thought they were supposed to turn out. Like, Jesus wasn't really the hero that they had hoped for. I don't know where you're at with your faith. But I know that I have said those very same words to God. And I imagine that you have too. God, it wasn't supposed to go down like this. I wasn't supposed to lose my child or my spouse or this friend or that job, or I wasn't supposed to lose my faith. And life stops. And I know that Easter's supposed to be full of hope. So you're like, why are you bringing this up? Maybe you're thinking that. Here's why I bring this up. Because I know there's some people here who still aren't quite sure about this whole resurrected Jesus thing. I know that there's some of you that are thinking, I, I mean, I'll come to, come to Easter, but I don't need a religion or a philosophy or a code of ethical behaviors. Yeah, I don't either. And I don't think these guys do either. And and you're probably a lot more like them. I know I am than I than I first gave myself credit for. Why? Why don't I need a religion? Because it's not going to solve my problems. And it probably won't solve yours either. Like, religion, really, it was, if we look at it, it's just, it's going to bring us to this place of pride because we're going to do things or not do things and then look at other people and see how much better we are. Or, it's going to bring you to a place of despair because you're going to look at the gap between who you really are and who you really want to be. And you know you're never going to get there. And see, we don't need a religion. We don't even need to turn back time. We need a miracle for these kind of problems. Not a philosophy, not turning back time, not getting over our disappointment, not even, like, trying to write the evil things that I might think or you might think or do. See, the problem is this cosmic rebellion that's in us and this bigger rebellion that goes on outside of us, the one that's been going on since almost the beginning of time against an almighty good God trying to corrupt nature, trying to corrupt us, and trying to corrupt everything that God has done. And, and God so clearly says in his story that the consequences of rebelling against him are, are death. But, Jesus comes up to these guys and I believe he would come up to you and I and he would show us the prayers and he would show us the prophecies, and he would show us the promises that show because of death being the consequence of rebelling against God, God's true Messiah would have to suffer and die because he's got to pay for that consequence. But death can't hold him, so he's going to rise from the grave. He's not just going to cheat death, he's going to conquer death. And see, if that's true, then everything is on the table. The impossible is now possible for, for everyone, every, every day. I mean, Jesus shows himself to these men. It's later in the story. Then he comes, they run back, they can't keep it in, they go tell the disciples. He reveals himself to these women, he reveals himself to the disciples. He says, see me, touch me, feel my wounds, watch me eat. Ghosts don't do that. Dead people don't do that. Receive my peace. I'm alive. And what we'll see in the story, if you come back for the rest of the series, is we'll see a wave go through, a power and forgiveness and love that changes these people that were afraid, these people that were disappointed, these people that were sad, and their lives are never the same. See, that's what the resurrection is meant to do. It's still meant to do it. Your life and mind is meant to be radically, radically changed. It's not supposed to be wrapped up in this cute little Easter story. It's supposed to be this powerful force that brings dead things back to life. That's why I bring this up on Easter. Remember those problems I asked you to think about? What's dead in your life that needs to be brought back to life? And it seems impossible because it's possible. Is it a vocation? You lost a job or you lost a career and you're not sure who you are or where you fit now? God can bring that back to life because of what Jesus has done. Is it a friendship? Is it a marriage? Is it your health? Is it your faith? engage in this story. I'm not saying you have to blindly accept it. These people didn't blindly accept it. Luke does a careful study. He includes the name Cleopas, for Pete's sake, this guy that walked along the road. I mean, he includes the witness of women. Nobody believed the witness of women at that time. It would be insane for him to put it in, unless it was really true. And even atheists have done the research and said, there is clearly evidence to believe that the resurrection happened. They might not believe it, but it's there. And here's what I know. I know that God might not bring back to life that thing or that person that you so desperately want, but he's able to. And he could, if, he, if it was his will, if it fit into what his plans were to do. But even more than that, I know without a shadow of a doubt that, that he brings the dead things in our faith back to life through faith in him. And that one day, even if it's at the very end of time, in all eternity, we will see all things righted because God is this good God who does do the good work and provides the sacrifice. And, and, and when this happens, like Jesus has secured the victory over sin and death and evil. So we know he wins. We know that eternity has changed and the universe has shifted and life is different. It's all meant to be made new. Where are you needing new life? Do you believe that it's possible? I do. And I believe it's for you. And you. And you. And you. And me. And us. And everyone. Just consider this wave of forgiveness and power. If it traveled through time and had one person become 12, become 70, 500 people who see them. Now two or three billion people in the world follow this person even if it's to their death because it's the best possible way to live. Did you pray with me? God, we need your holy forgiveness. We need your power in our life. We need you. I need you, God, to work in me and for me and through me and and I know sometimes in spite of me, and I pray for those that are sitting here, those that are sitting here that have been faithful um, to, to be uh, reading your word or be in church, at least occasionally, God, for trying to believe this, but they just haven't had any power in their life. They haven't had this radical change in their life. God, I pray for each person that would be in that place that they would, that they would grasp and that they would accept the reality of the resurrection, that they would let it change them that from the inside out, God, to work in them and for them and through them and also sometimes in spite of them. And God, I pray for those that are here that, that have never, never fully accepted this claim of Christianity, this resurrection, because, because the Easter story doesn't let us walk away from it accepting Jesus that you're a wise teacher or a compassionate healer or a powerful prophet. No, you're either Lord of all or you're Lord of none. So, God, I pray that we would grapple with the fact that you're either a liar or you're a lunatic, you're crazy, or you're, you're the Lord. Because you did claim to be the Son of God. And you showed yourself, at least so many people claim it. The evidence points to it. And it means that new things are possible. So I, God, not only do I pray for the the dead things of life, but I pray for those faiths that are struggling, that want to believe and have you work in them and for them and through them, and yes, God, even in spite of them, that this wave could spread beyond this place, beyond this city, beyond this state, and all around the world, that your love has come, that that life is new, and that love wins over all. In Jesus' name, amen.